Welcome to the Dictate the Podcast. Uh, this is the podcast associated with the Dictate the Game website. We've got various articles on football manager, analysis, tactics, experiments, and so on. Uh, with us today, we've got a couple of people. So we've got Ryan with us. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. And we've also got Simon back with us for another week. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing bloody good. It's it's uh, 21 degrees in the middle of winter in Los Angeles, and I'm wearing shorts. So there you go. I'm also wearing shorts, but it's cold and I'm a slob. That's that's what I'm going for. Um, and I'm FMTT. And it's just us today. So without Guy, we're probably not going to force Ryan into talking about long ball as much as we would have done with Guy here helping us. You still you still can. You still yeah, can. Yeah, but it's, it's going to feel more like bullying. So actually, yeah, we still can do that. We'll, we'll go to, with that. To be fair, last time I was on here, um, I've sort of received a lot of backlash from my... Um, favorite category so um we'll hopefully put that behind us and we'll move on for something else yeah we, we won't we won't go too in depth into that people can go and listen to the uh old podcast and find out about your uh preferences <laughs> yeah they can <laughs> shall i say we won't waffle on <laughs> yes you definitely should there'll be no more waffling <laughs> right let's let's move on to the the first um section. So we start with our tea reports. So with the team reports, we're going to be covering what we've been publishing and writing this past week or so. Uh, so we've got two articles. Um, the first to come out was the Around the World uh, sort of challenge or story uh, by Luke, really, where he's trying to get around as many countries as possible, I think, in Football Manager. I think he's using the vanilla version, isn't he? Yeah. Um, there is. It's, it's going to be good. It's uh, a bit different for Luke to take on something that which isn't as fictional. Um, obviously, we had the Mason Bradshaw sort of saga. That's over. And I think Luke wants to try and keep that behind him and sort of focus on other things. So it will be interesting to see how he sort of fares well, if he changes the sort of way he's going to manage different clubs or if he's just going to keep the same system, try and bring in players from other clubs. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it, especially because he's um, sort of an expert or has a lot more knowledge than a few of us in the MLS. So having that will probably help him a lot and then probably set him up well if he does well to get a higher job in a different country. Definitely. It's a good place for him to start. He's picked the team I'd have picked as well from the MLS. Um, and he's also got his favourite player in the team. So if you're not aware, there is one particular player that Luke loves above all yeah, of us. Um, we, we don't need to talk about that. That's um, <laughs> We've had he's so there. many of this guy's name. He's there and in the team. Captain um, the legend. <laughs> exactly. But for both of you, where would you start on your kind of round the world? challenge he started Luke started in the mls for taking on the world where would you start simon i'd have to go home actually and probably start in australia uh surprisingly enough i've never i think i've done one season uh in the a league but um there is a sort of save idea in the back of my head um uh starting off with uh i'd have to download a, a database but um a very uh, very much a lower league save with um, the ballarat rebels uh which is relatively close uh to my hometown um, and I've always fancied I've driven past the the training ground and lived quite near to the near to their training ground in the past, and I'm like, oh, quite fancy um, doing an FM save with that. But that's probably where I'd start anyway. 
it's a nice connection to have. Well, keeping it local, I guess, yeah. I think I've managed, I've done the same as you, I think I've done one season in like the A-League and then moved on. But I've seen, other, I think Lucky Ducky ended up there in one of the YouTube saves he did last year. It looked quite fun. The salary cap looked a bit odd, but it looked fun. Yeah, you've got these weird rules around marquee players and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think I, I was with the Central Coast Mariners and I won the league in my first season and then uh, decided it was it was dull and turned it into a journeyman and went somewhere else. But um, yeah, I saw Loki save. I think he was managing Brisbane Raw. Uh, yeah, those were the ones. How about you, Ryan? Where would you start? I'm going to have to be a bit more boring, a bit, little, less, little less exotic or, and a lot colder. Definitely, definitely in Scotland, I think. Okay. I, always, I always like going there because they have a sort of different system in terms of you have your under-20s as your reserves. You don't have, I think it's under-20s, or they're called Colts in Scotland. So you don't have that many, as, as much teams to sort of manage. And I like that you've got less players, but the players you want will be playing games in the, either the, your first team or your second team. And I've managed in Scotland before and I enjoy it. Because if you can take out the Celtic and the Rangers from there and push yourself in there, it opens up a really good sort of platform to get into Europe. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a bad save in Scotland. I think pretty much every version I end up there for at least a little bit. I'm either doing the same thing, like sort of trying to break up in the old firm. And or... it's, 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 it, is, it is good in terms of the sort of the wage demands as well. Like if you take a player from England, he's not going to want as much as saying if you're... In England, working as a very similar level club, so you can really sort of get a team going on a sort of shoestring budget. But then you've sort of got the repercussions of you're not going to get as rewarded, which is not like a big FA Cup or something that you can really sort of compete for. True, but you can rinse the English leagues as well. So if there's a really hard Brexit and suddenly British players are a premium, all the Scottish players you've got, yeah, a little absolutely. bit more valuable. Well, a lot more valuable, even the crap ones. I reckon I'd start in Greece. Um, I've got a save I'm playing at the moment, so not one for the YouTube channel, just one I've been doing here and there. And it's got a kind of Scottish feel to it in that there are one or two big clubs, like really big clubs. Mm -hmm. So thinking well, I was playing a couple of days ago and Olympiacos spent $44 million in the transfer window. Oh, wow. And I had one million that I'd scraped together. And I'm basically like, a, I'm in sort of fifth or sixth in the league quality-wise. So there's like one or two and then it drops. Uh, but there's only one cup. And there's a league and it splits in the kind of promotion relegation zone. But there's this kind of four or five good teams. And then everyone else is pretty even. It's, it's, good. it's good though, because then your team will, if you can beat the best, the best of the bunch there that sets you up the platform of taking it to the the two higher clubs so you can really sort of get going and always find out i've almost found if you sign players from the two top clubs sort of recycling them and using them for yourself it's 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 yeah. very sort of advantageous getting a season or two extra out of them and then selling them on or moving them down yeah exactly because normally they're going to be the last stage of the career or just someone who doesn't quite break through but would be a gem for your team yeah, I've got a couple of them. And the kind of foreign player rules are generous without making you kind of go a bit mad. So you can have, I think, five non-EU players in your That's match day squad. Good. And you can have eight registered. 
Oh, wow. So uh, and there's no kind of like wage cap or requirement. It's not like you've got to pay them 3000 and they get a work permit and then you've got to register them. It's just you oh, register just them. Get anyone, you'd get like a wonder kid. Yeah, potentially. And then he would, wouldn't need any sort of work permits or league. Yeah, That's I've quite cool. I've shelled out, um, spent most of my budget on a Brazilian centre-back called Reg or Reginaldo. Oh, um, he just I've got high hopes for Reg. Brazilians, Brazilians just have a fan- fantastic names. Fred. <laughs> just amazing. Just, there's so many I could have picked. There's one called Heron. But I thought, no, Reg. Reg is the one for me. See, I'd recommend giving that a go. But it's, it's, I'm interested to see where Luke goes with it. Because he mm. could go anyway. He's, he's, he wants to spend no more than one season at a team. So that gives yeah. him a very limited window to be successful. Yeah, and how do you measure success in a season if you don't win the league? You could ask many fans in the Premiership that currently. Yeah, because I mean, the turnover of staff is ridiculous. Well, especially first team managers. Yeah, definitely. So that's the Luke's article. So check that out. And if you like the kind of more story based stuff as well, you can still get all his Mason uh, stories up on the site as well. And they're well worth a read if you've got time to go through a few sort of different stages through different steps of the story. Uh, but we've also got Simon's article, which is again with Red Star. Um, and again, some Big Sam kind of inspiration in there, but looking at it more to kind of tactically. It's a good read. Enjoyed that. Um, oh. Where's your inspiration come from for this? Well, it's kind of part two of, of my previous article with the the Fantastic Four KPIs. I figured, well, if I'm doing the KPIs, I may as well have a look at the uh, the, the tactical situation. And, and while I was doing research for this over the last few months, um, I've been watching um, through trawling through archives, finding old, old Bolton games. Um, it's what sad individuals like I do in my spare time. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it's some of the things that, that, that I think the public perception of what Sam did is, is some sort of version of Pulis ball, I guess, where it was just long ball, hoof the thing up, um, get everyone behind the ball, play a low block, all that kind of stuff. Whereas that's not really true. There is obviously a component of that. Um, and I think when Sam was managing at at uh, Everton and West Ham and Crystal Palace and Newcastle, he was kind of taking over. He was he was in damage control mode, so he was doing a little bit more of that. But when he was with Bolton, especially in the last four years that he was there, he had them playing some really good stuff. And they would combine the long ball stuff where they would recycle uh, the ball back to Yaskalina and he would lob it up to Kevin Davies. But um, when they actually uh, wanted to play through midfield through either Campo or Akacha or Kevin Nolan or Stelios or Gary Speed in particular, um, they actually played some really nice football. They would kick the stuffing out of guys without the ball, but when they had it, they actually played some reasonable football. And more so, the the movement of the players, especially from dead ball situations, was really, really intriguing. And one of the things I saw was during the last season, 2000, and I think it was 2007, um, uh, uh, when uh, Nicholas Anelka was there with Kevin Davies and, and El Hadji Juf, and they played the three of those guys up front. It was after JJ Okocha had left. And so um, what they did with the front three was really, really creative. So from either uh, deep free kicks or from, uh, or from uh, goal kicks, Kevin Davies would move 
from a wide right position right into the middle of the park. And he would be there like a traditional target man looking to, to flick the ball onto either an Elk or a Duf or one of the midfielders. But as soon as that ball hit the deck, he actually made a, 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 a movement to the right flank. And I thought that's one, one little thing I want to try and do in, in FM. And so the obvious thing to try is, is let's have a look at a wide target man and see if we can get essentially replicate that movement with some of the PIs and stuff like that. And I couldn't do it. And it was, I must have tried, I don't know how many games in, in preseason friendlies and stuff, just trying to get that movement. I couldn't do it. And so then I thought, well, hang on a second. There is a, instead of going uh, outside in, can we do inside out? And so I then took the the target man and and the whole point of of what he what Sam wanted Kevin Davies to do is play as a target man but beat the living hell out of the out of a smaller fullback rather than going up against a, a six foot four center half. So Kevin Davies was only six foot tall. He was strong, great in the air, and all that kind of stuff. But you can't teach height. So he was only yeah. He's he's got a four inch usually a, a three or four inch disadvantage on most center halves, but he could jump. And he was in what just regard. Incredible. <laughs> three or four inches less in what regard sorry <laughs> well now yeah you definitely well, can't train that moving right along i shan't waffle on about uh length any longer uh so uh one of the things that the big thing that sam allardyce did that i love watching in matches was kevin davies would start in the middle of the park move out wide um and so uh, given that the wide target man, uh, won't, I couldn't get that to replicate the movement. I actually just loaded him up on the right-hand uh, striker uh, strata as a, as a target man and had him man-mark the fullback. Um, and then uh, with a couple of instructions, uh, which are listed in the article, um, it's, it's, I could recreate that movement. It was fantastic. And so with the ball, um, we would essentially be in the, uh, an augmented sort of 4-4-2 or a narrow 4-3-3, depending on where the holding midfielder sat. Um, but off the ball, I would get the 4-1-4-1 shape that, that Allardyce got. And I, and I was I'm, I'm very, very pleased with those results. Um, so that's kind of um, the main, I guess, tactical uh, uh, aspect of the article. Um, and one of the things that that uh, I, I wanted to stress was was personnel, and it seems this match engine is really big on on playing, making sure you've got the right players for the roles you're asking them to play. And in particular, that I've having tested extensively, and I mean extensively on full matches rather than highlights. With um, I would bring in like six target men on trial in preseason and have them all play 10, 10 to 15 minutes of the game. The one thing I found is with target men is they're most definitely not all created equal. And even those with very similar attributes um, would play the role entirely differently. And in some cases, um, if a target man was what I found less than about six foot two, the team would essentially ignore them as a target man and they'd more they'd probably play a bit more like a deep lying forward or a pressing forward on on support or something like that rather than actually uh, be sought out as a target man by by his teammates um and so one thing i found and since uh, uh uh since the season that the article covers which is basically season 2 with Wrexham um I found that that even more so uh, in my current season in League One is 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 having uh, we've struggled a little bit uh, with with having any dominance out of our target men, mostly through injuries and having to swap personnel around. But making sure you've got the right players in the right roles, which it 
ironically, uh, unironically, is a Sam Allardyce principle. Um, is it, very, very, is very, very important. How far do you think you can sort of take Wrexham using this sort of philosophy? Or do you think you're going to start to change it up and make something a little bit different depending on what league you're going to be in? Excellent question. So where we find ourselves right now, so the article sort of basically focuses on uh, that was the tactic that we used in season two of the save, which we gained promotion with up to League One. And over the first sort of 10, 11 games of our League One season, we did really, really well. And one of the things I do is after 10 games into a season, I do like an analysis checkpoint. So I've got enough sort of data that I can start looking at stats and looking at things like the leadership stats in the, in the, in the, in the game to work out how we're, how we're tracking against our expectations. And if I need to uh, refine tactics or do any additional training and stuff like that. Um, my expectations for the season, well, the board's expectations, we were favorites to get relegated. Our squad is relatively, um, we lack talent compared to our, 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 you know, I've just finished uh, just before we started recording this, I played a game against Middlesbrough uh, who are, who are running around still with a championship squad, even though they got relegated from league one, uh, uh, even though they got relegated to league one, but uh, we're sitting right smack bang in mid table. I think we're 12th. Um, and there's, we've struggled a little bit to keep the level of clean sheets that I would like. So I have made some, uh, minor relatively minor tactical refinements so it's more to do with the formation so um i still think the challenge the personal challenge i've set is to play defensive football and take it as far as we can get it uh because that's essentially what the likes of sam allardyce and tony pulis did is they would take teams through you know sort of league one championship level and they got them into the premier league and in in the case of both of those guys they actually got them into europe the challenge, the objective for this save, with the uh, aside from the Red Star Alliance principles around the affiliations and stuff, is to get a team into the Champions League within a decade. And I want to do it playing essentially defensive football rather than playing um, because, as I mentioned in the pod last week, our objectives are kind of the. Uh, I want to. I want to do the same as what Red Bull did with Leipzig. Champions League uh, from non-league to the Champions League within a decade, but I want to do it playing a, a distinctly different style of football. So um, I'm determined to make it work. Whether or not we get there is a, a different story. But at the moment, we're in League One, where it's I've in my mind it's a transitional year where I just want to consolidate our, our position and then next year push for hopefully push for playoffs um, and promotion. Ideally, uh, we're not out of the hunt for playoffs right now. I think we're about five or six points off uh, uh, off the promotion off the playoff spots at Christmas, um, so we'll see. Well, there is a lot sort of going on. It's, it's sort of really interesting to see that someone's sort of taking a club that's sort of close to me and I'm managing as well, but doing it completely different. Because my sort of principles, I wouldn't ever go with defensive football. I like to be sort of fluid, sort of not in terms of like Luke with the score more or anything like that. It's sort of trying to create chances that are going to create goals as opposed to waiting, pouncing on an error by your opposition and then going from there to try and build up. It's sort of making sure that you're the, the team that are on the front foot despite being probably a lesser team, whereas yours is sort of on the back foot waiting for the, the, the right opportunities to happen rather than trying to force an, op an opportunity. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of that's to do with the reputation of the club as well. So, you know, uh, if you look at back to the Sam Allardyce sort of connection is he always used to refer to Bolton as Little Bolton. So they would have, you know, he would take a, a relatively small uh, uh, football club compared to the the Giants at that time, the top, the uh, the big six or whatever, the Premier League, and he would always compete and if not beat them, like certain clubs like, you know, uh, Arsene Wenger still having nightmares about going to Bolton, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Um, and so I... Knowing that that uh, the way I, I can play, uh, I, I'm the, knowing that the way that this team is likely to get promoted and then struggle and things like that, we're always going to have uh, a bit of a deficit when it comes to talent. So I want to make sure that that take on those Allardyce principles of keeping clean sheets and things like that. Um, first and foremost, to 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 keep us in the division we're in, and then secondly, move on from there. I guess personally, I grew up watching. Uh, a lot of uh, in Australia when I was younger, they showed a lot of Italian football as well as English football, uh, and I love it. I love Italian football. I still watch it. I still watch it now. Uh, that whole uh, inferiority complex that comes with Italian football that stems back to Cardinaccio and all that kind of stuff is that we're not. Uh, we don't have the, necessarily have the talent to compete, but from a tactic perspective, we're going to find a way. Uh, we're going to find a way. Find a way to beat you, and if we can't beat you, we're not going to let you beat us. So we'll we'll settle for a nil nil, or even better. My favourite win is a one nil win. Um, it's fantastic. Like, you know, and that's very <laughs> so much rewarding. It is for me. It is. I love it. Um, I watched an interview again with Sam Allardyce a few weeks ago. Um, and it was with, when he was with West Ham and they'd just beaten, I think, um, uh, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Um, and he was reveling in delight that he just wound up Jose so much uh, with essentially shithousing them. Yeah, um, it's pretty much what it is. It is just shithouse football and it, uh, it works well, to this, a degree. It's more complicated than that. Yeah, of course it's more complicated, but... There's a, there is a lot of sort of tactics to it, but like if you're like an outsider just looking at the one game and like, oh my God, they won 1 0 despite having like three shots, people look at it that way as opposed to they have won the game because they've had three shots. If they were trying to have more than three shots in the game, they're going to be so exposed in the back. So when you, when you sort of break it down into the smaller sort of categories, then it really is sort of, it, it is good and it's interesting, but. You don't want to see that football. <laughs> I, <do>. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I, I shouldn't it. say that Pelham and uh, Simon probably completely disagree with my statement, but <laughs> completely and wholeheartedly. Yeah. Without reservation. I, I scored a goal earlier this morning. I was playing, um, scored a goal in a match and it was literally, it was two passes. It was goalkeeper from a goal kick goalkeeper to a uh, left winger. He didn't even take a touch. He just smashed it forward, put it onto the target man. Uh, target man headed it in the back of the net. It was just beautiful. It was like poetry in motion. Perfection. Um, yeah. And I think I, th I do think we're, well, at some point we've, we've threatened to have the long ball podcast, I guess, but, you know, delving into that a little bit. It's I, long ball football when it's, when, when you score like that, it, it, there is a degree of skill that it takes to be able to do that. Now, I grew up in an era in the Premier League where essentially it was huff and puff football. It was just lump the thing as far as you can. I don't think you can necessarily play that style of football anymore. I think you need at least – you can be efficient, and I mean really efficient when it comes to not needing possession to win games and stuff. Um, and playing exclusively on the counter, you can win games doing that as well. But if you look at what Sam Allardyce did with Bolton, 
He signed JJ Okocha. He signed Yuri Djokov. He signed Nicholas Anelka, Ivan Campo, Stelios. He signed, as much as he had, you know, someone like a Kevin Davies elbowing people in the face, he had these guys who had so much skill. And the one thing, if you go back and you uh, see some of the, I guess, interviews with those guys after they left Bolton, people like Ivan Campo and Nicholas Anelka, they both say playing at Bolton was the best time of their career. They love the simplicity of the tactics. They love uh, the way that Sam was able to motivate his team. And, you know, they enjoyed playing that style of football. And if anything, because those guys were older in their careers, like Gary Speed signed with Bolton when he was 37. Um, yeah, he, pro he prolonged their careers, you know, um, and a lot of that is they don't have to run anymore. Let the ball do the work. It's often referred to like the long ball style as the right of the week. So it's perfect for teams that have the smaller, the small Boltons, the ones that are just promoted, or that kind of the standard FM player, really. When you've overachieved and got promoted to a league where you're going to be absolutely destroyed, it fits quite nicely within that kind of style of play and that kind of context. And it can be really satisfying, like you're saying, with that sort of perfect pass, sort of two passes all the way up to the uh, target man. I think. My best match I've played in my Greece save, I didn't win. It was like a 3-3 a draw against Olympiakos, but they'd spent 44 million and I'd spent just under a million. But then I'd long balled them back into a draw by the end. He was just harassing them, kicking lumps out of them. Had a Campos-like uh, defensive midfield. He was just, I could see him kneeing people in the back. Because he just, That's he was shuffling up to people and just having a little dig at them. But it was beautiful to watch because that's exactly what I told them to do. And it worked. So it's kind of nice. But the long ball pod will happen. It's happening. We're building up to it. Soon all the articles will be long ball. Everything. Ball be articles. Dic dictate the long ball. Yeah. There you go. I think Spon that might rename them. Can we bring on like John Carew as an ambassador or something for that? <laughs> yeah, just the talisman for us. I will say, like, that my, my affinity, I guess, for, for defensive, not necessarily long ball, but defensive football um, and aggressive sort of physical football is, you know, obviously I'm Australian. And if you watch the way Australian uh, football is played, is largely that. Uh, I don't know if either of you remember Kevin Musket, but he is easily yeah. the dirtiest footballer I have ever seen uh, by a long way. Like, if there was ever a player who was destined to play for Millwall, it's that guy. Yeah. Um, uh, and he was just, he ruined careers, that guy. And he went way, way, way over the line, but it's, there is a physicality because of the way we play sport in Australia that comes with that. And because we may not necessarily have the greatest technicians, we've had a few really good technicians, but mostly, uh, good technical, but physical footballers. And a lot of them surprise, surprise, end up playing in Italy for that reason. Mm. Um, it's part of our DNA. And plus, I guess, even closer to home. I, I, I am a wind-up merchant. Just ask my wife. We spend <laughs> hours upon hours just winding each other up, and it is sport to us, and we love it. Um, uh, and, and so playing that kind of football that just infuriates someone who's had, you know, 70% of possession or something like that, and we've beaten them 2-0 with two shots on target, that's poetry to me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's what FM21 needs, a bit more kind of winding up in it. I want to do the crazy gang style of giving everyone like cold tea, stopping the hot water, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Switching, shoes uh, on the roof. away room, dressing rooms, lights off. 
yeah, that kind of stuff. I, I kind of want a little bit of psychological warfare in there as well. So I'll put that in the um, request thread on the forums. That's what I'll go for. Can yeah. I spend my I, wages and can I turn off all the lights? I sent a tweet out yesterday just after I'd finished a game. I'd actually won the game 4-3. And I was so disgusted um, with with how that result came. And uh, I think we went 1-0 up and then conceded, uh, uh, conceded went, went behind a couple of times. I think we conceded two. Equalized, went down again. And then we came back essentially to win the game in with five minutes to spare. I would rather have drawn that game 0-0 than won at 4-3. It's just repulsive to me that we <laughs> concede three goals and the way they were conceded. And you scored four, scored four, yeah. you're disgusted by the four goals. Well, I, less so that it's more the conceding of three. And that comes back yeah. to the, I guess the, the Italian mindset is, is um, they would rather in, in, they would rather, yeah, the team, the other team doesn't score necessarily than they score themselves. It's just this weird mentality. But um, when I played football to a, reasonable level i played for a lot of defensive coaches and they would scream at you about defending and i'm sure you guys uh, when you've played have, uh, have had the same they would always scream about defending and say very little about uh, very little about the attacking side of the game mm -hmm. and that's part of my dna is if someone makes a mistake um it's it's far worse than someone with a you know a beautiful trick or a piece of skill and that kind of stuff um you know to the coaches i play for that was showboating and there's the first way to get yourself subbed is you've tried <laughs> a trick to, even if you even if it came up but if you made a mistake oh you know, you'd hear it <laughs> i did have the striker score in the match engine it was like a spinning back heel like a completely unnecessary flourish and i did think i might sub him I'd transfer list him. <laughs> like, yeah, I might get a bit of money for him, get two target men in instead. Seriously, I'd transfer him. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so tempting, though. It's like, that's, he, he scored, but that's not how I wanted it to happen. It's against the principles. But we'll save the rest of this, I think, for the, um, for the long ball special. We'll get Ryan, uh, get Guy back. We've got Ryan. Ryan Ryan's not going to help us with the long yeah. ball. Um, we'll, we'll save this for later so we can go on to the opposition analysis. So opposition analysis is uh, where we talk about what we've been reading, watching, following FM and football-wise around the interwebs. How about you, Simon? What have you been looking at? Well, looking at is a, uh, uh, a very pertinent point. So I spent a huge chunk of my weekend um, in moral support for um, FM Dupe and his wonderful 48-hour uh, charity stream for the Bliss Charity, uh, wonderful cause uh, um, related to uh, uh, premature babies and and uh, all things of that nature. Um, I will add that if you go to his Twitter account, he's uh, still open for donations, but he already mm -hmm. he did hit his target of £2,500, which is phenomenal. Yeah, um, target. If you ever want to see what someone looks like um, after like a really serious long haul flight <laughs> without having to go to an airport, uh, you could you could go back and watch the vods of that that forty eight hour stream. Uh, he did it without sleep. Um, he did have a few showers, thankfully, along the way, and he did have some uh, support from the other WeStream FM guys. Um, and um, they all of them together actually put in a really, really good shift just to, uh, you know, for a really, really worthy cause. And they did actually play some football manager along the way. I'm matching towards the end, not as well as they would have done normally. 
but it's a, that's a long shift to put in. Yeah, there was a couple of saves um, put on hiatus, like um, um, uh, Dupe's normal save is is he's been doing a money ball piece, um, like like FM bars, um, and and yeah, after about the first eight nine hours of the stream, it was yeah, the concept of spreadsheets went out the window. So they did do some <laughs> other things, and um, I think they ended up playing with England at one point. But um, and there was some uh, um, there was there seemed to be a lot of the uh, what's the Geo game, the one where you find the stadiums, Google Maps, and that kind of stuff. Oh, the oh, geoguessing yeah. thing, whatever it's called. Yeah, there was a lot of geoguessing going. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to find um, you know crappy stadiums in deepest darkest Scotland. So yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Um, you know, and there was yeah, there's some good football manager stuff on there, but I don't, I I don't think anyone was really paying attention to that. Yeah. They were just there to support a really good cause. And um, again, just uh, mad props for for those guys, and and especially uh, for Duke, uh, for for what he did. And if you've missed it, you can still go and donate. Still time. Absolutely. What else has been going on then? What about you, Ryan? Um, well, in work, I've been watching a lot of uh, TFO football. Um, so I put a tweet out earlier, actually, about this. I'm sort of really interested in sort of all the different stuff that they keep putting on there. But it's it comes across as very sort of technical, but they break it down into really short, short and condensed thing, but give you the same information you'd get if you were reading about it. But it's, it's so mesmerizing. I was looking at um, particular, this particular video, uh, what is a register? And it gave the example that Michael Carrick would be like the perfect register if he was in like Italy or a different country, which predominantly play with the this sort of style. And you sort of look at it that way and you think, yeah, that is completely true. But it's just interesting how it sort of works as... And obviously, because I'm an Everton fan, I was looking at sort of Angelotti's tactics and stuff. And when he was in when he was at Milan, it was is just really, really cool how you sort of use that sort of system to make the team sort of play with a register. Just that's that's what I mean. Looking at really is the Tifo football. What about you? Um, I always look at Tifo because it's a proper rabbit hole to go down. Is Tifo? You'll find yourself just going through the videos one by one, or just letting them auto play. You'll end up wherever. But kind of on, I've been doing sort of half football manager, half not. So football manager wise, it's a YouTube channel by Old Lady Plays. Um, and they've got a series about advanced tips for football managers. And they're not very long. They're maybe 10, 15 minutes at the most usually. But they each focus on a different little thing like training, um, giving feedback to training players, match feedback, um stuff like knowing the league rules, just tips about how to find information in the game, just lots of little things. And they're quite a good watch. Even if you've been playing Football Manager for a while, there's plenty you can pick up on on the Old Lady Plays uh, channel. So well worth looking. They've also got, um, I think, an athletic uh, Bilbao save as well that you can follow. But I've been mainly been, at the moment, just looking at the kind of advanced tips. So even if you've been playing for a while, give that a go. Uh, but on the kind of Tifa front, there's a channel called, is it Copa 90? Yeah, Copa 90, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a lot. And I was looking at some of the sort of rivalry stuff they do and the kind of historical stuff, but they've got a new series that started. So the second episode actually came out today, so Thursday-ish. Not Thursday-ish, today is Thursday. But, you know, by the time this comes out, it won't be, so it'll be now a couple of days. And it's Finding Indonesia's First Wonder Kid. And it's got Dennis Wise in, 
and Des Walker. And there's an academy in Indonesia, and they pick the best team of 16-year-olds, bring them over to the UK, and then get them playing kind of local teams. So I think it's maybe six weeks. They kind of train with them, playing local teams at various levels, uh, to see if they can get them sort of signed up and get them any contracts. That's pretty cool. Like that. I remember years ago, I used to watch uh, like a Nike Academy. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Was that on Sky? No, no. Um, no, that, that was with uh, Jamie Redknapp, the one on Sky. That was really good. It was like, I don't know what it's called, like the next football star, and whoever would win that would get a scholarship at a club. But the Nike one was similar. It was sort of like a second chance saloon for these players that couldn't quite get a contract, but they were like training and trying to get, they were playing other teams to try and get signed on to a bigger club. I used to watch that quite a bit. I think it's got a similar feel to it. See, I think the first episode, you start to get to know some of the players. um, And then I think every episode will follow them through in the next bit. Uh, My favorite particular bit in this one was where. Um, because it's Dennis Wise, it's fun to see him getting wound up at certain points. And essentially, he's managing them with Des Walker, and they've arranged a friendly against what they think is going to be Northampton's under 16s. And then when they get there, Northampton have brought along their under 19s instead. Oh. <laughs> so there's these kind of slightly jet lagged 16 year old Indonesian players who don't really know each other yet and are being shouted at by Dennis Wise and Des Walker, who obviously don't speak the same language in any kind of way against like 18, 19 year olds. Some of them are like on the verge of getting their professional contracts or have actually turned out for Northampton. And she's watching Dennis Wise get really irritated that he's been completely done. Yeah, I would, uh, I would be annoyed as well. But they did the right. So I'm going to be following that. That old lady plays for the moment. And actually, there was one other person, but I'll mention them in a second because they've asked us a couple of questions. So anything else before we move on to the questions? Nope, I've got nothing. Good, we're efficient. Uh, So we've got questions next. So we asked last week and this week if there are any questions you had for us. Uh, Ehor did have a question about uh, breakfast preferences, but we all know yours, Ryan. So we don't need to go through that question. That's (laughs) for you in the last pod. Okay. (laughs) But we had two questions from Dodgy Gamer. So Dodgy Gamer's got a YouTube channel and has an Andorra Andorra club and country save going on at the moment, which is well worth a watch. Uh, where he's playing as Andorra, the football club, in the lower levels of the Spanish league, and as the national team as well. So it's worth following. But he's got two questions for us. So the question from last week was, what is your football manager routine? What do you do when you're getting ready for a football manager session? So how do you prepare yourself, get yourself in the mood? Sure. Uh, so I, my, my job at the moment is I'm a stock trader, so I work from home during the day. Uh, so I get up at super, super early in the morning. And as I laid up, load up my trading platform, I also load up Football Manager. So um, when you're stock trading, um, at least in my case, I don't trade all day because that's a, the first way you'll get to the poor house. Um, what I, I tend to be able to have lots of breaks throughout the day where it's it's good for me to not look at the at the markets so i have football manager up and running pretty much all day every day um i also i start my day the first uh, for the first two hours of the day i drink an entire pot of coffee (laughs) i love this stuff um so my 
my I guess my pre-match routine would be uh, several cups of coffee, um, a little bit of uh, 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 market stuff, and then the one thing I do that's probably in particular with with my football manager approach is the first game of the day. I start the game on uh, instead of on highlights on full game. And for at least the first 15 or 20 minutes, just so I can get a feel for for the game and all that kind of stuff. And and without having to make sort of any huge tactical decisions or or with the game sort of scrolling past with, I normally play uncomprehensive anyway, but uh, I just put it on full game. So I don't have to be too stressed about the game and all that kind of stuff. I can make some, I could take some time to make my decisions um, and do it and, and do it that way. So, you know, it's one of the things that, um, I've also been reading this week to get back to the previous segment a little bit is some of the old Cleon adages, I guess, mm. um, as if you're, you know, if you're uh, confused about what's happening in a game, or if you don't quite feel like you've got a, uh, got an understanding of the way the match ends in or the way the match itself is unfolding, put the thing on full highlights on full game rather than highlights. Um, yeah, I do that quite a lot, and it won't be for necessarily for a full game. But it'll be until I feel like I've got a feel for the match engine, for the way my team's playing, the way the opposition's playing. Um, I use a lot of sort of opposition instructions and things like that. So if there is a player I want us to mark that I haven't already got an instruction on, I've got you know I'll see that unfold during that match. But it's just kind of a way for me to ease into my FM play for the day. Um, but that's pretty much the the staple stuff is coffee and, and, and full game rather than highlights. That's a really bizarre way. I've never known anyone who would start their session on a full match, but that's, it's interesting. You sort of think like that because you sometimes if you don't play for a couple of days, you sort of forget what your team is good at. So you're just making changes thinking, Oh, this is good, but it might not be necessarily the changes you need to make. Get rid of the cobwebs. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Cleon, the Cleon, uh, Cleon's rationale for it, which I think is quite true, is, uh, and I think this is just in general for tactic building and stuff like that. I see people on streams and stuff like that build tactics based on what they think an instruction does, rather than what, uh, rather than seeing it manifest itself in the match engine. So Cleon, uh, Cleon's old uh, uh, advice around tactic building was that one instruction at a time thing. But he also used to say, do it when it's on full match. Uh, it's on full match rather than highlights because you can then see, add that one instruction, see if it works. If it doesn't, take it off or add another instruction. But do it, just let the thing do its thing rather than what, rather than having a preconceived idea of what something should do. And I see this with players with uh, the way they play, especially on stream with things like roles, saying, I'm going to use a Mazala because he's going to run into the half space. Well, is he? If you've got a winger ahead of him on that same side of the pitch or a fullback on attack or a, or a you know complete wingback or something like that, I don't know if that's going to happen. Because of those players in that space, the match engine, the match engine may, uh, may restrict that player's movement a little bit. So, you know, suck it and see is a, is a little bit and using full highlights, sorry, using the full game rather than highlights is a, is a really good way of doing that. And for me, again, it's just getting in tune, I guess, with the, with the game on uh, each day as I play it. I don't play it every day. I play it most days, but um, especially if I've had a couple of days off, I will play almost an entire match on, on full game. I might give that a go. I might give that a try. What about you, Ryan? So you've got your waffles ready, you've got your syrup, your pancakes. What do you do next? <laughs> well, is this before or after loading the game up? I mean, it's, it's up to you. It could be before, during, and after if you're treating yourself. <laughs> well, mine's definitely not as 
sort of engaging assignments. I think it depends what where I'm at. Sometimes I'll be on my laptop, so I just sit there. I'll have like a glass of water next to me, and then I'll play. Play football manager, that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes I'll be sat on a, in a desk playing on a computer. Sometimes it is current sort of living arrangements. I'm sat on a bed playing it. So I think it depends. It's it's de- def- definitely not as in advanced assignments. It's sort of not pick up and play necessarily, but sort of to get me ready, I'll be like, right, sit down phone off distractions off and i'd maybe let's a podcast out uh, soundcloud or spotify just to sort of keep me going or i'd watch it while i'm watching where uh, i'd play it while i'm watching football because i think that gives me the sort of biggest motiva- motivation especially when you're like oh these are playing a certain way maybe i should try and tailor that into my system so yeah i think it varies depending on what where i am and what i'm doing i think i go for during the day get a cup of tea on or coffee, depending how I'm treating myself. If it's during the evening, get some gin in. Get get a little bit half cut if you know what's going on. And then probably I might do something similar. I kind of multitask probably a bit more than you do, Ryan. So I have maybe a few different things on. But sometimes, yeah, well, maybe not the football, but I might put football documentary on or the kind of Copa 90 stuff or TIFO. Um, I do rewatch a lot of stuff. So recently, <laughs> whilst I was getting my team kind of zeroed in on some uh, long ball action. I put the Crazy Gang BT documentary on, uh, which, is, which is always good just to see how much of a psychopath Fashionio is compared to Vinnie Jones, who comes across as actually quite a nice man in comparison. Or I might have something like uh, Mike Bassett, England manager, just for, the, just for the pathos going alongside that. But yeah, it's, it's, I keep it relatively... Simple. Can you use the term Mike Bassett and pathos? Can you use those terms in the same sentence? I, th- I think so. If you're an England fan, it's a little highbrow for Mike Bassett, though. I, I like to think it is underrated in its comic timing. <laughs> but that's that's what we do. If you do something very different and very cutting edge, tweet us. I dictate the game. Let us know how you do it. Dodgy Gamer had another question for us as well, which is a bit more complicated than how do we get in the mood, essentially, for Football Manager, which was, I'll go for it, word for word, more or less. So as FM is geared towards the squad training, sort of three tactical setups, how do you use the slots? Do you slightly tweaked versions of the same tactic for home and away, three wildly different tactics so you can surprise opponents, or simply one tactic and a couple of rarely used backups? This is very, very simple for me. Um... As most people are aware, I play on touch, so you don't have the luxury of the free tactics. It's one tactic, and you already have like maximum sort of familiarity with it. So I almost really only play with one formation, and very rarely would have changed the roles apart from tactical wise. I wouldn't probably wouldn't do it pre-match, or maybe potentially going up a league. I would maybe change one of them, maybe attacking role to support, and then maybe. Sort of just to make it a little bit more balanced, but I sort of stick with one tactic and sort of keep at it. I don't really have the sort of capabilities to change and chop and change, but it works for touch. Maybe if I was playing the full game, it might be a little bit different, but I doubt it. Okay, so you're a deviant using touch. What about you, Simon? 
Uh, I don't use touch. Good. I don't like touch. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, uh, I, I, I generally have two tactics, uh, a, a main tactic and a backup. Um, and there's very little difference between the two. Um, and it's usually just a, I say little difference. There's usually a fundamental difference between the two. And it's in, uh, aside from my current save, um, with red star Wrexham, it's usually a difference between a back three and a back four. Mm. Um, in the current save, it's a difference between, uh, essentially two up top or, or a single striker really at the end of the day. Um, and as per my article and the stuff, I'm actually, it's, it's really kind of two variations on, on two up top, um, for my current save, but I'm I'm not calling my target man necessarily an out and out striker because of his defensive stuff. But there's there's just a different version with that. The second version, uh, the first version is the one that's uh, been published in my article this week. The second version is um, slightly different with a double pivot in midfield, but all the instructions are the same. It's just a slightly different formation um, and a few different roles. So the second version of it is more of a four two two two. Um, um, yeah, uh, and but there's very little difference. Uh, I generally don't go for radically different approaches. If I if I'm in a place, uh, if I'm in a situation where I'm chasing a game, um, one I shouldn't be um, because it means usually there's something wrong uh, with the tactical setup the way I play it because I play very defensive football. If we've conceded three goals like we did the other day, uh, I'm not happy and I'll do something dra- dramatic for that occasion. But if it happens every week, there's obviously something wrong with that tactic. And so um, the whole system uh, or the fundamental system that I'm using, there's something inherently wrong with it. So I'll just fix that. Um, but I'm not going to have a situation where I have one really defensive, one really aggressive tactic and one that's somewhere in the middle. It's just, I, the, uh, I, I really find there's much deviation from, from, from one game to the next, the way I want to play it. Um, at least at the level, I tend to play a lot of lower level football anyway. So I don't really have that adaptability in the squad and I don't really have the numbers from which to change the system, uh, too dramatically. And plus from, a as I mentioned last week, I play FM like I see real-world football as much as possible. Um, I don't see teams that change their tactical system you know, um, too dramatically uh, from week to week, so I don't really want to play that way either. I think I stick with two to begin with. So I'll use two. For the first ones, the tactic I want to play. It's my kind of ideal tactic, obviously, hoofball. And then my backup, my second tactic... Um, is there to deal with the fact that I normally get players sent off a lot, like a lot. <laughs> so Congratulate. A few seasons, I had more in fines for ill discipline than I did in prize money at the lower leagues. So I've got a backup tactic that's kind of already adjusted. So it's got obviously you can't get rid of a player, so it'll still have all eleven on there. But I know that one of the strikers isn't going to be there because I've shuffled stuff around. So it's, it's already kind of trying to adapt the shape to take into account that one of them's already kind of headed down the tunnel. He's on his way home. And then occasionally in the third one, I'll put like my aspirational tactic, which is currently kind of inspired by uh, Eho's Wide Target Man article that's up on the uh, website. Because again, like you, Simon, I normally play kind of lower league. And I don't think I've ever actually managed to get a natural target, a wide target man. I don't think there are any in the database in any way. So I've got the. Uh, there's one. There's just one I know one of. Like, but 
I've not got him. I don't, I don't think he'll ever will come to, you know, Belfast Celtic or the Rapper E.T. Feral Cats or whatever over in Tahiti. So I've I've just got this tactic which I think would work beautifully if I just had the players for it. And every now and again, I load it and put it in there and think, yeah, this week, this week someone's going to play that. And then I just get rid of it and stop them training it because I know I'm never going to get the white target man I need. But it's just there. One day, I might just load a sort of top flight save at some point and just see if I can get it working. Just out of curiosity. But, you know, it should work. It was Eho's recommendation. It's all in his article. I trust him. I've just never been able to have the players to do it. But yeah, main tactic, my backup for when I inevitably get someone sent off for hacking through a player. And then my kind of what if tactic. But that's probably about it. And suppose I could get away with just having one tactic trained. I had heard that if you've got just the one trained, it gets trained quicker than if you've got two or three. But I don't know if that's just FM myth or if that's actually true. One of the world's great wonders. Yeah. I will say the fact that you got more in fines than you weren't in prize money. Yeah, that's that's I'm in it. Yeah, that's a moment of hero worship for me. That's fantastic. I did it last season as well. I had a Warrington side, and I could just see it. You can see it in the finance bit. You can see it on the kind of like ledger. You can just week by week it was going up a little bit because I had like seven <laughs> players all with yellows and a, and then one red card. And it was just inching up and up. And I really enjoyed it. It cost me, but I really enjoyed it. The fact that you managed, did it with Warrington, of all places, that's even, yeah. Yeah, Warrington, uh, yeah, it's not the most uh, exotic of places. No, you you could already tell what was going to happen to you if you came and played Warrington. (laughs) Yeah. I might have actually played a game there, because I played, I was living up in Chester and played some games up there, and I may have actually played in some northern cup thing up there at um at one point but uh i guess yeah, yeah potentially in the same kind of catchment draw area for warrington for some of the cups could have done yeah i used to go through warrington on the train quite a lot and i was quite happy on, uh, on those trips where it didn't stop there, so. <laughs> that's why i always felt the same going through stuck it's the same sort of thing apologies to people from warrington i'm sure it's a lovely place these days i, I wouldn't be so sure but we could be optimistic <laughs> I think that's all our questions, isn't it? Have you got any questions for us, Ryan? You said you had one. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, how much do you tinker with your squad during a game? Uh, so I've been watching uh, someone in... Uh, well, so I've been watching someone play and they play completely different to me, which if you don't really watch people, you don't watch as much streams, you don't really see it. But I've sort of always gone with keep the same team throughout the game. I don't really do any of the shouts don't really change much in the game unless I'm desperate for getting a win. As Like in the last 20 minutes, I'll put like um, time waste to the highest it could possibly be, wherever possible. But I don't really do too much tinkering because I kind of like the the default tactic to do it. So how do, how do you both sort of play the game and what changes do you make during the game to sort of help you or not help you? Well, I sort of break the game up into thirds, I guess, and and I do checkpoints. So the I do the same actually with the season. I do these regular checkpoints um, after about a third of the season, then in the halfway point, and then uh, sort of heading um, into the last third, I'll do a checkpoint there just to keep myself on uh, on target, I guess, all puns intended. So with with during a game after about half an hour, the one thing I do is I go and check the analysis screen and I want to see our relative position 
like on the heat map compared to the opposition and, and things like that and say, so, okay, how high and things I look at um, are the old Tony Pulis things. Mm. Uh, where are their fullbacks and how high are their fullbacks? Because there's usually, if you're going to find space, it's going to be there. Um, especially if they're fit playing a fairly compact, uh, a compact system, or even if they're if they're like I play a defensive tactic, so a lot of teams are going to come onto my team. Um, uh, so so I'm I'm going to look for spacing behind the fullback. So it may be a case of of changing a role slightly. One of the wider, especially the left, uh, the the player I use in, in the four three three system. If I use a, a, a an inside forward out there, I may switch them out to a winger on attack or something like that. If I think there's there's space to be had out there, um, I may do um, a pass into space instruction or something like that as well. Which is when you're playing hoofball and they're playing a high line, they're asking to get scored on. If 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 uh, uh, especially if it's it's getting late in the game and it's still nil nil, um, you get some tired defenders out there. I'll put on a very very I'll put on the fastest striker I have, um, and it's dumb but it works. Um, put on the put some speed out there. Put the ball in in the open paddock and um yeah hopefully someone uh, will get onto the end of a long ball and put it in the back of the net um but during the game i'm i'm very active i usually let the first 15 to 20 minutes play out and then sometime between 20 minutes and half an hour i think there's enough data sort of in that match engine so I, if i don't already have a feel just by looking at the match engine for how things are going um i'll start looking at some numbers around chance creation you know pass completion and all that kind of stuff um then I'll do the same again at halftime, depending on where the score's at. Um, and then usually coming into around the 70th minute mark is when I'll have, I'll probably have made one sub by that point. I'll then have two up my sleeve. I'll then work out, um, are we go, are we trying to save the match or uh, uh, or do we need to score? Or do am I happy to hang on uh, for a nil-nil draw, which I do a lot. Um, um, and I'll make my substitutions accordingly. I'm not huge on changing roles, uh, particularly um with the midfield and defenders i will change the roles in the other than the target man i may change the roles for the other two forwards in my 433 system um one of the things i really like doing at the moment is i've got an advanced forward uh i like using him uh, changing him to a pressing forward on defend of all things um it's not it's a role i find that most people don't use um and if i'm looking to hold the ball on uh, either hold the ball up a little bit or at least um, have a, one of my strikers drop into midfield a little bit more. I'll use that role. Um, I referred to it. I think I spoke to somebody about it who asked me about it. And I said, um, it's like a deep, deep lying forward who gives a shit um, when it, when you're having it, when you're not in possession. So I use that one a lot, but um, I generally don't change roles for the defense or the midfield uh, that much during games, maybe one role here or there, but very rarely. But I will change the front three um, or two of the front three other than the target man quite a lot. I like the idea of using that pressing forward on defend. I've used pressing forwards a lot, but never on defend. No one uses that role. No one seems to use that role. But for me, it's actually um, because he, when you're out of possession, he plays like a number 10 or he'll drop into the hole a lot of the time and he'll pick up either a defensive midfielder or even a central midfielder uh, of the opponent. Uh, they'll just drop in there, but they don't seem to lose any of the um, – my secondary system um, I'm, I'm messing around with at the moment is using a pressing forward on defend and essentially plays like a shadow striker, but it has a bit more of a defensive responsibility. Mm -hmm. So he'll drop into that hole, but he'll, he'll also go, go ahead of the target man um, at times as well. 
and it's he's my number one goal scorer as well. So it's um yeah, it's an interesting role. Give it a try. I tend not to change roles as well. I tend to leave those where I can. But I'll do maybe two things to tinker with stuff. So one is kind of like you were saying, responding to where, you know, if they've got pulled backs pushed up and stuff. But the way I do that is under some skins, and I think you can edit it so you can do it yourself, but you can see a live update of their formation. And I think depending on how long the match has been going on for, you get kind of an idea of what some of the roles are. So it might tell you sometimes that that's a deep-lying playmaker that they seem to be playing in defensive midfield rather than an anchor man, that kind of stuff. So you can kind of see in almost real time, even if you've not got a, a highlight going on, of how they've responded to what's going on. So I sometimes wait for to see what they do, and then I'll try and respond to that. So if they're chasing because I've got a goal up, and suddenly they're pushing up and they've gone from full backs and now they've got these wing backs pushed higher up, then wider and longer to get in behind them, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, I tend to base my tinkering mainly on the players. So rather than roles and rather than changing tactical instructions, I know that some of my players play the same role differently. Just like you were mentioning before, finding the right player for the right role for your kind of Bolton-inspired tactic. But I know that one of my right wingers is good for a few long-distance goals and he'll cut in whether I tell him to or not and end up maybe on the edge of the box. Whereas I know there's another one who's going to go all the way to the byline. Again, whether I tell him to or not, and then cross it in and cut it back. So if I can, if I see a situation where that works a little bit better, then I'll put that player in if I can. And same with strikers. Some of them play the target man in one way, some of them play in a slightly different way, and I'll just alter it that way. But I normally leave it reasonably late before I make too many big changes, and I hardly ever touch the defence. I just feel really paranoid about changing my defence in any way. But that's mainly what I do. How about you, Ryan? I've, I've, I've told you what I do. <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes ago, more than I originally asked, asked It's very question. memorable. Yeah. Right, we'll just well, edit that bit out. We're good. I'll, I'll make it look like I was paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long one. Right, so I think that's everything from us for this podcast. Uh, if you've got any questions for the next one, come and find us on Twitter or leave us some comments on some of the articles and give them a read and we'll be back in a week or so. Might be the long ball special, it might not be the long ball special, but as always ask ask yourself what uh, Big Sam would do. Anything to add, Luke? 